When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill, and my guest today is Dr. Darcy Little Badger. She is a Lipin Apache writer with a PhD in oceanography. Her critically acclaimed debut novel, Alatsaway, featured in Time magazine as one of the best 100 fantasy books of all time and won the Locus Award for Best First Novel and is a Nebula, Ignite, and Lodestar finalist. Her second fantasy novel, A Snake Falls to Earth, received a Nebula Award and a Newbery Honor and is on the National Book Awards long list. A Snake Falls to Earth is also our latest big library read pick. From November 2nd through November 16th, readers can get the ebook and audiobook of A Snake Falls to Earth without waitlist or holds and participate in a discussion of the book on the big library read website. Darcy, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to A Snake Falls to Earth? Oh, yes. So A Snake Falls to Earth, as you mentioned, is my second book. Um, It's a young adult fantasy that actually tells a story through the perspective of two characters. Um, One of these characters is named Nina, and she's a human girl from Earth in, in the near future. Uh, and the second character is Ollie, who is this cottonmouth snake uh, kid from this land of, of magic, world shaping and monsters and animal people and fantastical stuff. Uh, and they actually, their stories combine about midway through the book because they need to help each other save their friends and family on Earth. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a, a, an interesting book in that I, I describe it as having elements of science fiction, but also fantasy. And I hear a lot of people say it's a, a work of indigenous futurisms. And actually, I, I have to agree with that, looking into what indigenous futurisms means um, as a descriptor for, for art. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was just a lot of fun to write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I read in another interview you gave that the structure, themes, and characters in this book are heavily inspired by the Lippin stories your mom told you. So I wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. Yes, and, and that's especially true in, in the early chapters of the book that deal with Ollie's um, uh, story. And growing up, my, my mother, so my mother's Lipan Apache, my father's Irish American, I'm Lipan Apache. Um, and I, I was raised in a, in a family of stories. And, and these would be uh, stories that come from picture books and, and books of nursery rhymes, but also my mom would tell me stories that have been passed down, you know, generations of Lipan people through this, this very strong oral storytelling uh, tradition that we have. And, and a lot of these were very fun. Like they, they had uh, characters such as Trickster Coyote, who is, I, I think is well known and he actually appears in 
different ways and in many different stories from indigenous peoples, but also other animal peoples and, and heroic uh, humans. And um, they would go on these adventures. And oftentimes these stories might not necessarily have like tidy, neat little resolutions or go through your, your typical, uh, you know, uh, three act uh, structure and stuff that you find um, very commonly um, in, in bookstores, but they, they were just so much fun to me and so adventurous. And they really shaped my understanding of all that a story could be. Um, so with A Snake Falls to Earth, I was a little bit concerned writing this book because like it has like three different endings and a lot of these early chapters have self-contained stories where Ollie uh, meets people uh, like, like monsters and friends and enemies. Uh, and I was like, is there a, is there a readership <laughs> for this type of book? You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not something that I see very often, um, you know, in the library and bookstores. Uh, but I was so happy that I did go ahead and write it because as I've learned from readers is that readers are hungry for all different types of stories um, and including my own. For sure. And, and as you said, a snake falls to earth is told through two perspectives. One is set in a world that is a near future version of ours and one that is a secondary world that you created. How did you go about creating, you know, Ollie's world and what was your writing process like when it came to telling the story story and balancing these two worlds? Yeah, that one was was fun for me because it is a completely secondary world that that I put a lot of my imagination into. Um, but again, there's also a lot of inspirations from these traditional stories that I grew up hearing, especially when it comes to the different animal peoples who live within it. Uh, but of course, I also wanted to add a little bit of my scientific background to this. So these, these animal peoples, their strength and their survival is connected to animal species on earth. Um, so, one of Ollie's friends is this little like toad kid. And it turns out that his species of toad is going extinct on earth. So he's getting sick. And, and what this world actually reveals is that even in this, in this place of, of, of imagination, um, a lot of these environmental issues that we have to contend with are actually very impactful. Uh, but I, I, I did enjoy inventing, for example, the, the odd cities that are completely run by animal peoples, like uh, uh, the city where, where beavers essentially build it, <laughs> like out of wood, yeah. um, and the different monsters that they encounter, like this monster in a bottomless lake, like it was just fun for me as a, a fan of fantasy um, to reach outside of the, the bounds of earth. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And, and sort of bring in that in indigenous perspective that you talked yeah. a little bit about, I'm sure also was a fun element to be able to do as well. Oh, yes, it, it really, it really was. And I, I something that I, I have been noticing lately is that indigenous authors are, quote unquote, being allowed to write in genre fiction. And of course, we've always been writing like in genre yeah. fiction. Uh, it's just that it'd been more difficult to get published in, in uh, fields like fantasy and science fiction and horror and mystery. And um, 
I, I spoke with, in fact, a writer from a generation before mine who, who was like, yeah, they, they really wanted us to write a certain type of story, which is oftentimes this, this very sad, like real world grounded type of story. And there's definitely a place for those. Um, and I've, I've read many that I enjoy, but also it's just like this big, like sci-fi fantasy nerd. Um, I love reading and writing uh, in the in the genres of fantasy and science fiction. Um, and yeah, so it's been it's been cool to see also emerging writers who are, I, I can't say much, but the future is going to be very cool with some some new <laughs> new voice. <laughs> Which we love to see. So part of Nina's story arc involves hearing a story from her great-great-grandmother before she dies, but the story is in upon which Nina doesn't understand and it sort of starts her on this journey to translate and understand the story and the language. I'm curious if that is something you are seeing in um, your community where younger generations maybe don't have the language of the older generations and if that sort of is what inspired that particular element of the book. Yes, and that's a big a big a big issue that Lipan people are grappling with right now because the Lipan language is it has holes in it. Um, when I think back on my, my personal like family history, uh, I think the, the last generation where the, they were really fluent in, in Lipan and spoke it um, you know freely. Uh, my great great grandparents and I know my great grandparents, they, they understood phrases, but they didn't really pass it down. Um, so my grandmother, her first language and the language that she spoke most often was Spanish. Um, my mother's uh, first language was Spanish. She, she learned English. My first language is English. Uh, mm -hmm. And that chapter where Nina is with her grandmother and is trying to take care of her and the hospital was actually inspired by experiences I had with my grandmother when, when she was in hospice uh, because she would be speaking Spanish to me and I would be really struggling to communicate and trying to um, make sure that she had what she needed without necessarily knowing what she was trying to tell me, which was very difficult, but uh, I, I imagine it would be even more difficult if she said something in Lipan, because like that's, uh, I've tried to learn, I know a few phrases. I'm definitely, I know more Spanish than I know Lipan. And there's a language revitalization effort going on right now, which I, I actually think is, is really cool and really vital, um, where we are taking all the Lipan that remains and if there's any areas where, for example, a certain word that we might not know yet, uh, closely related languages um, such as Hikaria, which I, I, in the book, um, I think that's that's a language that Nina actually uses to supplement her her knowledge. Uh, we're kind of looking to them for for uh, guidance, um, and. What, what I think is cool is that young generations are getting really into it. Like I, mm -hmm. I know there's a group on, I, I don't know if it's Facebook or Discord, uh, but there's a whole group of people, they get together every week and they, they just learn lip on. And that's something that I actually, I actually want to join. I need to, I need to get around <laughs> to that. Um, and 
I, I, I have one more kind of personal story that made its way into the book that highlights how important this revitalization effort is. Um, and that, so Nina hears this story uh, from a great, great grandmother. And as she interprets this story, she learns that it reveals a lot about her family. And that was kind of based on, so my great, great grandfather in the morning, he would go outside and he would, you know, every morning say something to the sun, this prayer. Um, and even though like, you know, throughout the generations, we, you know, no longer spoke lip on um, this, this oral storytelling slash oral tradition of passing down knowledge was so strong that the, the words of this prayer were passed down completely. Um, so we have this prayer in Lipon and we knew uh, you know, generally what it meant, but um, as I was writing this book, we had been able to basically define all of the terms um, because the, the pronunciation of the words were, were uh, preserved so well um, mm -hmm. <laughs> that we could just compare them to, to what we're knowing now about our language. Uh, and just the the ability to um, this prayer could have been lost, yeah. but it wasn't because we are fighting now to bring our language back. And that was just something that was really special. And I wanted to put this in a book, but I also didn't want to put this uh, prayer in a fantasy book. So I just invented a story, you know, for Nina's family. That that's her thing. Um, but essentially the, I guess the heart of that is, is the same. I love how much you've brought these little personal stories into your book, but also made them Nina's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if you've had any, uh, Lipon or other indigenous readers reach out to you to, to talk about this book and what it's meant, because I, you know, as you said, it's new now that indigenous writers are able to write genre fiction like fantasy and I'm wondering what the reaction has been oh it's so it's it's been actually really wonderful um and I recently did a signing in Santa Fe um it was during the period when a lot of art festivals are happening so mm -hmm. a lot of people gather in Santa Fe during that weekend um and the, this signing had probably the, the greatest attendance of native readers that, that I've ever been in the same room with like person to person. Cause I've, I've done a lot of virtual events like book clubs. Um, that's something I also love doing is like visiting with little book clubs and lots of these are, are, are native book clubs. But this was the first time when I was like physically in the same room with like dozens of readers and most of them native and as I was, I was up in this table doing this kind of signing event, just uh, hearing from different people of all ages, just uh, how much they enjoyed my book was probably one of like my most precious memories of, of this year. Um, and something that has been really cool is I've actually had like a, a couple of lip on readers like reach out to me. And I, I say that is because we're not, we're not like, a very large uh, group. Like, mm -hmm. I think there's probably less than 10,000 Lipan people, including people who are, are not enrolled with our tribe, but aren't Lipan. Like, because I, I do want to acknowledge that they they are um, there too. Um, yeah. 
So like growing up, even in Texas, like I felt really isolated, except for during community events where I would go um, be around my people. Um, and so, yeah, just just like having them reach out to me, uh, it's been it's it's why I write <laughs> like I, yeah. I write to connect with readers, like all sorts of readers. Um, and uh, I think that's my why I, I not just write, but also go through the steps of being published. Um, just to make that connection with people. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. Now let's take a quick break for our sponsor. Before you book any brunch, you pour over lists and lists of reviews. So why not do the same thing when booking a doctor's appointment? With ZocDoc, you can see real, verified patient reviews to help find the right doctor in your network and in your neighborhood. After all, finding the right doctor is just as, if not more, important than finding the right plate of Eggs Benedict. If your doctor can recite every line from the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but can't remember your name, it's time to get a new doctor with ZocDoc. ZocDoc makes it easy to find quality doctors in your network and in your neighborhood. Plus, with real, verified patient reviews, you can find the right doctor for you, one that actually remembers your name. There's nothing worse than going to the dentist, at least in my opinion. And when I was on the hunt for a new dentist, it was super easy to go and open up ZocDoc and find someone not only who accepted my insurance, but who was in my area and who had an appointment and could see me ASAP. Look, I'm still a kid. And unless they're going to pull out the chest of prizes, I'm probably not going to want to go to the dentist. But thanks to ZocDoc, I found a dentist that works for me. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. Go to ZocDoc.com slash ProBookNerds and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. 
That's zocdoc.com slash probooknerds, zocdoc.com slash probooknerds. And now let's get right back into talking about those books. You are an earth scientist. You have your PhD in oceanography. Um, But I think when my research, I read that you had started, you've been writing for a while and you had originally tried to go to undergrad for writing and that didn't work out, which is how you ended up in in the science field. Um, So for now, like, after you've done all this and now that you're, you're finally writing, you know, published and all of that, what, um, advice were you, would you maybe have for anyone who's trying to do that and can't at this moment in time, they need to sort of maybe take a different direction for their life. Like how do they get back to writing? Yeah. And, and that's something that I think is important, um, cause I'm now finally reached a point where I'm able to write full-time like that's what I can focus on a lot of writers have to have second third jobs um, because the arts are difficult Uh, and I I do like to highlight that it took me over a decade to reach this point Uh, and I had initially had in my mind that I was going to go through the quote unquote what I thought was the traditional way to be a writer and I'll learn that, you know, there's many ways to be a writer. But when I was in high school, I thought you go to college, you go to an English program, a creative writing MFA, um, then you graduate, you publish books. You know, it, 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 was, it was all like, I, I wasn't really <laughs> sure what I was doing, but that, that was my idea. And so I applied to the creative writing program at Princeton, um, because I should point out that when I was in high school, I just, I, I sent applications to all sorts of, of universities. And um, I, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would get into an Ivy League. Um, but when I was accepted by Princeton, what was, was really like exciting is that they had an, an amazing financial aid program, the best financial aid program of any of the places I got accepted because they, they did it based on need. Um, and so it was a chance to, to, to get, an education without going into debt. Um, but what I learned is that the creative writing program at Princeton uh, has a second application step and that is not guaranteed. So when I was a freshman, I applied, I was like, oh, sweet, I'm gonna study creative writing and they rejected me. So I was like, oh, it's okay. Rejection's part of, part of this. Um, and I applied again and they rejected me again. And at that point, there really was no more time for me if I wanted to focus in this program. Um, and I'd also taken an introductory oceanography course around that time and learned that I, I loved the ocean and I knew very little about it. So both of these mm-hmm. things were intriguing. Uh, so new plan, I switched over to study uh, geosciences, um, you know, study the ocean. And just in my free time would continue reading and writing because it's something that I love doing. Um, and that's important is, is that for me and, and what I, you know, advise other writers is to do it because you love it, um, not necessarily because you expect to uh, maybe get a million dollars from it or, you know, because uh, that's not guaranteed. And as, as I would learn is uh, the, the publishing journey can be long and, and unusual because 
you know, I would send off short stories to magazines, get a lot of rejections. But over time, just the more I wrote, the more I could hone my craft. Um, and sometimes these rejections had useful editorial comments. Like they'd be like, oh, you know, this wasn't quite strong enough. We, we can't publish this. But I would take the, the useful uh, editorial advice and kind of incorporate that into my future submissions. Uh, and so I got a short story published when I was in grad school with Strange Horizons, which is a, a spec fic magazine that actually pays you. Um, and just from there built up to getting a book uh, published all the while I was working like as a, as a research scientist or a scientific editor. Um, and yeah, then Alatsui came out <laughs> and uh, it has been a whirlwind of a, let's see, two years. It's only been two years. <laughs> <laughs> In what a lot of two years it's been for all of us. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I always, you know, during this pandemic, I always have been asking writers sort of what it's been like for you as a writer writing during this pandemic. And if the experience of the past um, two and a half years at this point have ended up maybe in small or big ways in any of your writing. Um, yeah, so that one is a tough question for me because something that I did these past two years is I, I had a lot of personal tragedies. Mm. So I kind of had to separate like my, my personal life from my work life. It, it was, it was kind of surreal because as I was experiencing some of the worst moments of my life, I was also having success in, in my career. And I say specifically in terms of the loss of my father, um, who he, he passed away because of mesothelioma, which is a cancer that is caused by asbestos exposure. And we think when he was a young man, he supported himself through college by working in steel mills, working with construction. And, you know, a lot of those places, they exposed their workers to asbestos. Um, so he was always my, my biggest champion, um, as a writer, he was the director, the, the head of the creative writing program at uh, Westcon in Connecticut. Uh, and so that was, that was difficult for me, um, but I, I, I kind of was able to, to separate those two worlds. But fortunately, uh, I mean, things have, you know, I got married, um, and so there's also been like very bright, bright moments uh, during my life. But I would say one of the biggest ways that this has impacted my writing um, uh, is I, I recently wrote a short story for an anthology, uh, New Sons Two. And now my brother, he was he was an an essential worker at a at a I don't want to say the name, but um, think Walmart, a place like that, not Walmart, okay. but at a place like that. And he was working there during the early uh, pandemic. I remember actually he knew before like everyone else that things were gonna get serious because they they were ordering big shipments of like um, sanitizer and other, and other I, I, I remember toilet paper was in high demand, but anyway, he, he, he got a bunch of bleach, a bunch of sanitizer and, and he told us, you know, like things are probably gonna get serious. Uh, and then they did. 
And my brother at the time was, was living with my parents because my, my father was quite ill. Even I went home um, to help take care of them. And unfortunately that March, my, my brother got very sick. Um, and in those days, you, you really couldn't just go out and conveniently get a test. Like they were available, but they were very difficult to get. Um, and so he isolated himself in the basement of our house in this little tent because he was so afraid of exposing my, my elderly parents, including my father who had cancer to, to this, this new like horrible virus. Um, and I remember for, for a while, I was just like really frightened because he's a strong man. He worked in a, a warehouse at the time. Uh, and when I would glimpse him, uh, his face was just like so red. So there was this moment when I was like really frightened for him, my strong younger brother, uh, but he pulled through. And I think that's, that's something that really taught me empathy for, well, I mean, I've always had empathy, but like truly kind of understanding the extent of, of hardship that a lot of people in his position went through during this, during this, um, this pandemic. And um, so his, his, uh, his uh, experience actually inspired me to write a short story um, in this upcoming anthology about a person like him. Um, and I, I really, he, he's my hero. <laughs> and I don't think I've never said that really to his face. Uh, <laughs> I probably should. Um, but, but um, it, it gave me even a, a greater appreciation for my little brother and all that he does. Like, I guess I've always taken for granted how strong he is. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I said at the, in the intro, A Snake Falls to Earth is our latest selection for Big Library Read, which means it will be available to readers all over the world to be able to read without any wait list or holds from their library. For you, what does that mean knowing that your book is going to reach so many readers? Oh, that's, um, so when I learned about this, I, I was like just thrilled because um, I, I love libraries um, in that they help people get access to my stories who might not necessarily have it, um, you know, by, by buying them at a bookstore. And just this program, like giving uh, widespread, like digital uh, access. Uh, all right, I, I think I mentioned earlier that, that one of the reasons I do wanna be published is because I want to make connections with readers and readers who find, who find escape, who find joy, who find value in my stories. And the fact that this is going to help me reach so many new people is just like, so awesome. Um, so yeah, but thank you. Like that's, <laughs> I'm really excited. <laughs> well, good. Well, I just have one question left for you, which is there anything you'd like our readers to take away from reading a snake falls to earth? Um, I, I just hope that you, that you enjoy, enjoy the read. Like <laughs> uh, that, that's all a writer can hope for. And yeah, uh, I, I also hope that uh, maybe readers, so the book like features a toad that's based on the Houston toad, which is this teeny tiny, adorable little serious based um, toad species. And if they take away something, it's just that our world is full of little 
potentially overlooked um, beautiful facets and also to have hope. <laughs> um, I, I guess that's one of the, the biggest themes in this book altogether is that even though things may seem insurmountable, um, hope is what drives us you know, to, to act. And hope is the reason that my family still has that prayer and a lot of elements of our, our culture that were threatened during some, some very frightening times um, in our history. Um, and I think it, it's something that's important, you know, now as it ever was. <laughs> that's a great answer. Darcy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to chat with me. Oh, thank you so much. It was, it was wonderful to speak with you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.